Have you been following my Super Trend series with Scott Luton and Greg White from Supply Chain Now? Well, last week we spoke about startup mentality in our Super Trends number four. Yes, that's right. The last episode in our Super Trends series. And it's all about innovation and what startups bring to enterprise and how enterprise can innovate and what startups actually mean to supply chain. So if you missed that, go and check it out. It's episode 119, wherever you listen to Let's Talk Supply Chain or or under podcasts at letstalksupplychain.com. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community, new innovations, and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. I want to tell you about Tive. They've come up with the easiest way for shippers and 3PLs to have fast, clear visibility data. Seriously, you have to check this out. Tive's intuitive interface and low-cost trackers provide comprehensive supply chain awareness, reduce freight claims, and improve customer experiences. These are single-use trackers. Let me say that again. Single-use trackers. Amazing. Check them out at tive.co. That's T I V E.co and get 10% discount on your first order when you mention that you heard about this on Let's Talk Supply Chain. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. We are getting closer to Forge the one-day virtual supply chain conference that Let's Talk Supply Chain is doing in partnership with Procurement Foundry. And you're not going to want to miss it. We've got a dynamic lineup and diverse voices in the industry joining us for that. We start off the day with an economist, a chief economist point of view on what the economy is going to look like for the next 18 months. You're not going to want to miss that. Price of admission is worth it just for that panel. Plus, we've got companies like Southwest, Edible Arrangements, Dell. Um, We've got a startup showcase in the afternoon where we're going to be showcasing nine new innovations to supply chain that you're not going to want to miss. Irina Roska, she is joining us um, and she will be doing a presentation on when customer service meets operations in supply chain. Audrey Ross will be there and so, so many more. You're not going to want to miss that. So go and check it out. Um, You can register over at procurementfoundry.com. And um, yeah, we can't wait to see you there. Lots of great networking opportunities. And so if you're looking to network with supply chain practitioners, procurement practitioners come and meet us there. So today we are asking some of the hard questions when it comes to finding the right tech solution and some of the challenges supply chain professionals are facing. Like what are the top three challenges we are seeing with data in supply chain and what should organizations focus on first to streamline process and become more efficient in their warehouse structure? Well, before I let you in on who our guest is for today, let's get to the question of the week. So the question of the week was the big debate, globalization or not to globalize? What's the new future of supply chain? We had a lot of great comments on this. Remember, we do this every single Wednesday morning on the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want your comment featured on an upcoming episode, make sure to comment on the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page. James J. Curtis, supply chains are going to adopt multi-party 
network platform, especially as they move direct to consumer. Robert Garrison, the short answer is it's complicated. As in all trade issues, there are both political slash strategic national interest to consider, as well as economic ones. It's also important to view it from all perspectives. Love that. Varun Anthony says, in my opinion, the future of supply chain, especially in price-sensitive markets like India, for example, is going to be largely locally driven. Wow. Christina Waller says, you're right. This has always been a hot topic with much debate. Customers say they want locally produced goods, but weren't always willing to pay more for them. Alvaro, he says, global supply chains will not disappear. Not possible. Production is not ready for this to change yet, but will progressively up to a certain level. I think that from what I have heard in several webinars that I have attended over the past couple of weeks, but in many countries or geo markets, we will be reassessing. Matthew Chapa, unless the government is ready to actively subsidize manufacturing in the U.S. through either direct subsidy or increased tariffs, then supply chains will only become more global. Hell yeah. We should remain globalized. The same principles of David Ricardo apply. Bill Griffin, supply chain risk is generally higher when the supply chain gets longer. Jason P. Taylor, I think we need flexibility to do both and adapt where it makes sense. Love that. James Dawson, the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted the entire world in countless number of ways, none more so than supply chains. Most consumers never gave a second thought to how products they use every day reached them. Doug Kastik, global supply chains will not totally go away. Many companies still are driven by their quarterly earnings, but if there are subsidies for high-risk products, there will be some alternative supply chain network alteration. Thank you so much to everyone who was part of the conversation this week and stay tuned for a whole new question and conversation next week, every Wednesday on Let's Talk Supply Chain, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Today, I am talking to Jason of McGregor Partners about supply chain tech and what it means when they say, when they say, don't overthink it, we say there's no such thing. Jason has a lot to share with us today, so let's get to know a little bit more about him before we deep dive into McGregor. So Jason has 15 years of supply chain technology experience. He brings a unique and valuable business perspective to any engagement, having sold, implemented, and consulted on many of the most transformational supply chain, distribution, and technology projects at Fortune 1000 companies. In 2012, Jason founded and since grown McGregor Partners, a supply chain software and consulting firm, into a multi-year Inc. 5,000 recognized organization that sells SaaS software and supply chain consulting services to the largest manufacturers, 3PLs, and retailers across the world. Today, Jason oversees McGregor's account management, product development, sales, and marketing teams, along with the go-to market strategy for software and services. Additionally, he assists McGregor's clients' organizations through digital transformation, sales strategy, and differentiation, and helps them define their path to leverage technology that creates seamless and experiential customer interaction. So welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you. Happy to be here. A nice, yeah. a nice break from the monotony of quarantine here in Raleigh, North Carolina. 
Absolutely. McGregor Partners, you know, they're playing a really big role in how we look at supply chains and even how supply chains are going to run after COVID-19, which is really something that everybody is talking about. So I'm looking forward to this conversations because I want more supply chain professionals to know about you guys, know about what you're doing and get a sense of how you can help them moving forward in their supply chain. So why don't we kick off the conversation with the brand story? You know, how did McGregor get its start? And then we'll, we'll go into what exactly you do. Sure. Sure. Well, uh, let, let's, let's start with a couple things. First of all, um, there is no Mr. McGregor. I get this question a lot. So the, the, the backstory behind the name is, uh, the, the partners and I that, that started this, uh, that are part of seven years ago, we were sitting around trying to come up with some, some names for the company and, and looking at some of the competition and other things. And, and as we, as we were brainstorming, everything seemed so pretentious and ostentatious. So right? ulti- ultimately we, we were sitting around at, at a, a draft house called the McGregor draft house down here. And, and one of my, one of my partners just lo- looked up and said, why don't we just call it McGregor partners? So we have a draft house that is our, our namesake down here in Raleigh, North Carolina. So love it. Um, that's the that's the first and most important piece I think uh, you know, from a from a brand story. But with regards to how we got started, um, I, very humble beginnings. I, I I started off my career in the IT in the three PL space. Moved over to Red Prairie. So basically, the entire first nine to ten years of my career was was uh, around implementing software and technology inside warehouses and distribution centers. I'd seen that, and and ultimately, I got a little bit disillusioned by corporate America. I. I, I by nature, I'm someone that really wants to solve problems, learn things, and and not have to toe the line around the the, the party. Uh, what would I call it? The, the the party needs and the party software suite. So I, I I I was sort of angling the direction of heading out on my own, and I had a couple of people, some mentors, some folks that I respected that said, "You're going to be a lot happier. You're going to be able to make customers a lot happier if you just go out on your own and and build." And roll with it. Just go. Just see what happens. It's not the end of the world. This isn't a death sentence to your career in corporate America if it doesn't work. So ultimately, I stepped out on my own and, and a little bit of right place, right time. Uh, the private equity firm that owned Red Prairie at the time uh, leveraged Red Prairie to buy JDA, which is a public company, and bring them private and merge the two together. And as part wow. of that, it, it, it sort of spun up a whole bunch of unique opportunities from a business perspective for purely the WMS consulting side to grow. So initially, it was... Let me just step out on my own. I had a great network of clients and customers that that could use my my skill sets. Um, and then, right place, right time, the the industry sort of took off from a WMS space around JDA. And then from that, we've we've sort of evolved and grown. We're uh, multinational now. We just opened up a, a Singapore office uh, late last year. Uh, perfect timing with COVID nineteen, obviously, yeah. to, to perform some massive expansions into Southeast Asia. Uh, <laughs> but but it's, it's going well for us out there. And ultimately, we're, we're expanding well beyond WMS. And we'll get into more of that, I'm sure, as part of this conversation. But it's uh, it's been a wonderful seven-year journey. And and for those that are thinking of doing something like this, well, maybe now is not the right time. You know, wait a little bit till we get past the pandemic. But um, it, it forced me to learn and grow immensely in ways that I don't think I would have being a small cog inside a big, giant machine uh, raking in money. So it's it's been fun. We're, we're doing a lot of cool things. We've got some great big clients that, that put a lot of trust in us. So... It's been very great. Yeah, and people are going to love to hear that, right? Because we we hear about different sides of the coin when it comes to entrepreneurship, but your story really is of everything happens for a reason. 
right? And just, you know, taking a look at those signs, jumping out onto those opportunities, taking those risks. And I like that. Like, those are the stories that we need to hear more about of, you know, the brands within supply chain, supply chain companies. How did you get started? What did that look like? You know, what were your signs? What were your opportunities? So I really like that you shared that. So how has the brand evolved over the years as supply chain has evolved? I mean, the last seven years, we've seen a lot of shifts. I mean, even in the last three years, we've seen a lot of shifts between tariffs and obviously now with the pandemic and, and everything like that. past three weeks, we've seen a lot of shifts. Yeah, yeah exactly. So you started off in, or, or your major component is WMS, but how, how are you sort of evolving? And obviously technology is evolving too. So I'm sure you've had to evolve over the last seven years. So what does that look like? Yeah, yep. So so, so great question. And what, actually, one thing I wanted to jump in with regards to the right place, right time, just because I think it's it's relevant. What I, what I tell people sort of angling or thinking the same spot is you just need to go. You need to jump into entrepreneurship or what you want to do. There's never going to be a better time. And I say this because um, part of what helped me make this jump was that my wife had a great job where we weren't going to be destitute around the street. Um, but I kid you not, about two months after I started this, uh, my wife got pregnant with our now six, six, almost seven-year-old daughter. And and I think wow. had I not started it when I did and waited two to three months, the fear and the reality of being a father would have kicked in and, and I wouldn't have done it. So the, the best thing I can say is take opportunities, walk through the doors and, and make stuff happen. So now back to the other question, uh, the brand evolution. So yeah, we, we started really in the WMS space and um, what, what that allowed us to do was, was understand customer businesses very, very well, very, very heavily. So um, most organizations don't just have one distribution center. They've got, they've got multiple and, and maybe they're positioning different inventory. So we got to see a lot. We got to touch a lot. And ultimately, customers trusted in us. So where we've sort of progressed from that, and, and again, this is, this is sort of a slow, continuous evolution, not, not just stair step where we just kind of add things on top, but you know, we, we do a lot of labor management implementations. Uh, we, we do a lot of integration with external systems. We focus heavily on automation. You know, the past several years have seen automation increase significantly inside operations. And that's, that's only going to increase from our perspective moving forward. As we talk to manufacturing leaders and others, there's this fear of what I call it, labor right now that exists. So as opposed to saying, I'll just, we'll just hire more people. Now there's we were already battling with the concept of I can't find enough people to work in my distribution yeah. centers. It's, it's tough. What we're seeing now is the fear of, I, first of all, I can't find people to work. And two, if somebody gets sick and half my workforce goes out, I, I can't do anything. How do I do more with less? How do I protect my, my business? So we're very, very heavy on the, the, the partnerships with AMR vendors, goods to person vendors. Um, and when we recognize they're going through a lot of these implementations that, um, mm-hmm. The cost of the hardware, the cost of the physical device is coming down. I don't want to say they're commoditized because that's not the case, but the the special sauce, the success is the integration between the foundational execution systems like a WMS um, yeah. and that automation. How do you, where's the gray area? How do you stitch those two together in an appropriate way that that one, it's functional, it works, you've got the information you need to run it, and two, it, it, it helps resolve any type of exception conditions. Um, well, and not only that, but having them work directly with, you know, the human capital as well. Exactly. Right? Exactly. 
yeah, these aren't, you know, hey, let's let's create a dark warehouse and we won't have anybody inside it, you know, that type of thing. This is really a, a cobot, I think is the the phrase that I hear a lot, where it's it's humans cohabitating, co-working, whatever you want to call it, with uh, with robots and, and together being able to do more. So we don't view this as a as a way for manufacturers or folks to push out labor out of distribution centers. It's more of a protective measure. And how, again, how do I do more? My customers demand more. I've got to ship faster. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 very unique. So we we head into that, and then and then the big thing that I think we're most excited about um, is, you know, if I look back, probably I'm, I'm probably gonna mess up the date. Maybe it was like 2015 or so. Um, we were still small, probably about 15 people. Maybe it was 2014 again. The se- the past seven and a half years have been a blur. It feels like, but but anyways, we're sitting around the table, and I'm I'm looking across the proverbial table at the, these employees, and these are folks that. I've recruited to come here. I know them. It's a small family knit community. I'm, I'm looking across the table. I'm thinking, gosh, I don't like the idea that all of our revenue and, and all of our ability to pay mortgages and put kids through college is tied to a product that we can't own and control. We're sort of on the bandwagon system integrator with, you know, with, with WMS vendors and automation vendors. So we, we sort of began the process then of funneling some profit sideways and creating an R&D group um, of, of some industry veterans. You know, we focus heavily on folks that actually know supply chain, know the operation space versus just getting technical folks and throwing them at customers and having to teach them what a replenishment is or what is, you know, right. what, what's a tote? Smart. What does it mean when something, you know, what, what, what's a, what's a spur? What's a conveyor? So, so ultimately we brought these folks in we started building things that would kind of sit around the periphery of, of distribution networks and distribution centers. And we're, we're most excited about where some of those products are going, particularly in the in COVID-19, the pandemic state that we're in right now and, and how those are positioned to really help customers protect themselves uh, uh, from situations like this, from, from shocks, from a supply chain or demand supplier demand perspective, um, and also protect their workforce. Uh, so it's, it, it's fun. It's exciting. We're doing a lot of stuff. We're still being a relatively small company, but uh, again, yeah. it's exciting. I think our customers would agree what we're doing is exciting for them. So it's, it's fun. Yeah. And you're evolving with the times and really taking a look at what your customers are experiencing, what their customer Custom, what your customer's customer is experiencing. How, how far do you want to daisy chain that? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and how you can how you can make it easier, which is exactly what we need to do. I mean, if anything, this pandemic has shown that we need to be more agile. We need to be able be able to pivot quicker, um, and we're going to have a new normal. Right, we're going to have a new Absolutely. normal in supply chains, and that means that we're going to have a really big you know, shift in what we what we have been doing um, versus what we could be doing. And I think more and more people are, are realizing that. So let's yeah, get the strategy. In. Yeah, let's I'll, get I'll say one thing because I'm writing a blog post on, on this exact same thing, the new normal. So um, and I can't steal this concept. It was from someone that I, I watch. A, I watch other podcasts not related to supply chain, but th- this individual referred to kind of the time in America from World War II to now, the, the lack of, of, of massive war and, and major pandemics is kind of like the long nap. And I, I'm writing a blog post right now on this where I'm kind of calling the, let's call it the past, you know, you could make 10, 15, 25 years of supply chain, kind of like the supply chain nap where organizations really, the pursuit of lean inventory and, 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 and trying basically anything we can do to eliminate cost and lean out the inventory across the supply chain was the goal. And then we suddenly right. get to the state now where, hey, shocks can happen. China could go down for a couple of weeks. What does that mean? And it's yeah. it's almost like this light bulb of, hey, we maybe we can't we can't approach it that same way. And the interesting thing about this is that organizations were incentivized to lean out. There was no shock. And if they were if they were more expensive in the supply chain, they couldn't compete with the folks that outsourced to China or the other places. But but 
it, it, it's pe- people have to shift their thinking and maybe we need to protect, we need to protect the shocks from a supply side perspective or, or what this can mean from a pandemic. If certain portions of the world go out, how do we become more self-sufficient? Very interesting uh, thought experiment to go down. So I just wanted to comment on that. I think it's, it's yeah. very fun to look at and think about that long nap, so to speak. Yeah, no, it's really great and a a really hot topic right now. I'm seeing posts all over social media about this with many different comments, many different perspectives, and it's really going to be interesting to see what happens. So let's get to the nitty gritty of this. What exactly do you guys do? We've talked about WMS. We've talked about how you guys have evolved from a tech standpoint, but I really want to give the audience a clear line into what exactly you do over at McGregor Partners. Yeah. Yep. So good, good question. Um, cause it's, if you go to our website, there's a whole lot of stuff there. It's like, what are these, you know, I, we, we get that a lot from prospects where they go to our website, like there's some cool stuff on here. There's some good content and videos, but what does it you guys do? So we, we probably need to clean some of that up and harden some of the, the, the content there, but, but ultimately it's, you know, it, again, the foundational piece is WMS consulting. We sit across a multitude of WMSs, um, and we can really do anything that the vendors can, all the way from you know reselling software to implementing training support, uh, twenty-four by seven by three sixty-five uh, enhancements, customizations, RF, you know, the whole gamut. So that's that's sort of a call it the foundational piece that we built the organization on top of. Um, from that, we can help with uh, automation selection and implementation and integration into any facility, whether that's like we talked about AGVs, AMRs. Uh, uh, goods to person modules, you know, all, that, all that kind of stuff, conveyance, you know, we, we help out there. Um, additionally, we've got some of the, the internal products, but before I go there, the labor management installs, you know, again, really think of the, the key technology and software pieces that sit inside a, a distribution or distribution network. Um, then we've got our internal products. So these kind of run the gamut from interesting to, to really cool to you know, kind of what is that? So we've got one that we call uh, M toolbox and that's our, uh, turnkey data analytics uh, and data warehouse platform. So um, we'll probably get into more of this. Otherwise, I could we into a thirty-minute diatribe of of why analytics are hard and 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 why people, process, and technology and platform are, are important. Uh, so we've got that one. We'll, we'll talk more about that, I'm sure. The second one that we're really excited right now is uh, what we call Mfolio. So this started out. This originated as a as a very very uh, system agnostic way to manage paperwork generated in distribution centers. So think receiving documentation, shipping documentation. So much paperwork. So the way we sort of looked at it was we had, you know, I'd walk into a warehouse, they'd have automation, all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And then you go to the back corner of the warehouse and they've got like 15 rack positions with bankers boxes of paper and you go into the shipping office and they're funneling paper and printing and stuff's everywhere. And then someone gets a phone call. Hey, Billy wants to know what's going on with bill of lading one, two, three. And someone's rifling through stuff. It's just like, what how is everything advanced except for this? <laughs> so really the, 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 the brainchild of this was let's create a very, very simple, easy way to induct documentation that's not directory-based. This isn't Dropbox. This isn't a file share where you have to put some, remember to put something somewhere. You have to name it and then you have to go search for it. This is, you chuck stuff at us. We OCR and parse it. We group it logically into document sets. So bills of lading, packing list, driver scan, all for the same load, get bundled together. And then we usher them through a workflow. So we automate uh, you know, approvals, emails to people, edits of documents, comparisons, signature capture, all that stuff. So basically it just becomes a digital workflow. So that Perfect. it's beautiful. It, it's beautiful. And then the interesting thing now, uh, we, we just recently introduced the driver kiosk because suddenly we went from focusing purely on the internal labor. This is how we can save you money and reduce risk from an auditor losing documents or you know, the, the costs associated with that to uh, suddenly our customers are saying, 
we like the digital document piece, but can we digitize the physical interaction between drivers and facility staff? I don't want them coming up to a window Good and, point. and talking. I want, I want a driver kiosk where they interact, they, they check in, they do all that stuff digitally. That flows back to the shipping office. And then all the, that workflow yeah. picks up there and that communication's consistent and digital. They sign their documentation. Maybe, they, you know, in our, our kiosk, the printer's right there. They sign the documentation at the kiosk, comes out. They have all the information to walk through whatever safety protocols. That, anyways, that, that one's really cool. We're getting a lot of interest right now during the pandemic. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that's going to that's gonna change distribution. I mean, obviously, this whole pandemic, like we said, is going to change supply chain as a whole. But distribution is very... Um, I mean, you've got a marry between technology and humans, like we've talked about, but there's a lot of paper, like we said, you know, there's a lot of interaction and with everything going, going on right now, they want to be able to reduce that. I'm sure. Oh yeah. They want to reduce the paper. They want to reduce the the chance of some, you know, if you think about it purely from a, from a manufacturer perspective, the risk to the supply chain of, of some driver, and it's not that drivers are like, you know, uh, walking walking disease filled humans. This is not the case at all. But it's just if you if you if you run a, ma- a distribution center and some driver comes in sick, virally shedding all over everyone, and suddenly you have an outbreak in your facility, you have to turn off the facility. What does that do to your your uh, yeah. your supply chain? And then you have to clean it. There's some cost. I mean, there's there's a whole host of things that they don't want to do. And ultimately, drivers too, they have to worry about their their safety. They may they may be interacting with a shipping clerk that's asymptomatic, getting sick, and they'd love to. Yeah not have to pass paperwork and pens and, and, and walk up and you know, talk face to face with somebody. So again, we're the, the whole goal of Mfolio is to make sure that, you know, the way, the way I refer to it with, with prospects is we're really revolutionizing the, the relationship between drivers, facility staff and paperwork, that whole, that whole, you know, holy trinity of things. We're, we're making it easy, digital to protect everyone and everyone's best interests. I love that. And you brought up a really good point about data. Um, I don't know throughout the last couple months that we've heard enough about data. And I think that obviously it is the starting point for any business. Um, and then obviously the analytics that go with the data, good data anyways, not bad data. Obviously you got to make sure that you've got good data, but the analytics that go with it um, are really going to change the supply chain game. So what do you think are the top three challenges we're seeing with data in supply chain? And why do you think we're seeing that right now? Yeah, good, good question. So the, the way I view this is it's just, it's just in order to, so the creation of data itself isn't hard. Data is sort of ubiquitous. It's everywhere the collection of that and knowing what to do with it is hard. This is why it, it, it's it's like the holy grail everyone's chasing. You know, Everyone's buying new analytics platforms. Everyone's trying new things, but there isn't just some gold standard where, yeah, you just, you just buy this thing, you check the box and, exactly. and you're good, you got everything. It, th- this is legitimately hard. And the reason for it is there's data across, you know, it, it, if we take a small window, kind of like what we, we tend to focus on a little bit, which is distribution networks. You've got yeah. a multiple, systems. Some are run by 3PLs. Some are different systems. It's just, it, it's a hodgepodge of stuff. And inside of those, you may have automation in some, you may have labor management in some, you may have IOT in pieces. There's just data everywhere. And and finding people that have the vision to pull all of this together and knowing what to do with it, it is really challenging. Honestly, it's the hardest part about all of this. And then if you expa- extrapolate that further, you've got, you've got planning, you've got uh, procurement, you got distribution, yeah. you got, there's, there's whole, and, and, and trying to create one holistic single pane of glass is really, really hard. So, you know, we, we, yeah, yeah, before I just start pontificating here, let me just, let me try and at least angle towards answering your question. So, so what, what are the hardest things about it? When it's, when it's hard to do something with it, um, it, it's really, really, really hard. Uh, 
Second, it's there, there's a lot of systems out there, but they tend to be they tend to be one of two things, and it's sort of opposite ends of the of the spectrum, if you will. You've got um, vendor specific solutions. So maybe if you I, I know I know JDA Blue Yonder, so I'm going to use that for example. You can buy a comprehensive suite of Blue Yonder products, and then and then their Illuminate platform that goes over the top. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. But if you're if you're an organization that maybe has dabbled a little bit in, in Blue Yonder, has some stuff with uh, you know, a variety of others, it becomes challenging to oftentimes take that vendor specific solution and extrapolate it across everything. Yeah. Again, not that Blue Yonders can't, I'm not suggesting that at all, but it's just, it, it, it becomes, there's a lot of silos and concepts yeah. where we're really good at data here um, and, and finding that solution that sort of, but, but at the same time, they're really good at, at ushering clients through that process to get the correct data and the output and the visualizations that are transformational, that change behavior. And then the opposite end is sort of the tableaus and power BIs where, Look, we're not really specific to supply chain. We're not really specific to anything. We've got beautiful visualizations, but you have to buy a data warehouse. You have to buy an ETL tool. You have to do right. all these things. So we, we oftentimes see customers trapped sort of between these two polarizing pieces where, you know, maybe they've got the Tableau and Power BI kind of holistically up top and they've, they're trying to work with consultants and IT and things are slow and plotting and it's, it's difficult to iterate and grow and move things forward. I'll get to that in a second. That's a, that's a good story I like to tell. Or you've got customers, and, and along with that, you've got, people down in the trenches using spreadsheets and access databases yeah. or, or the opposite is you've got people that have got great visualizations and, and analytics for a very narrow slice. So it's, it's sort of trying to, again, bring all that stuff together. And, and yeah. Bring it together of, and bring communication around it too. Exactly. And this right? is, I mean, this is as much a science as is an art. I mean, you've got yeah. to find people that know. And one of the pieces that we, we talk to clients about with this, and I think this is a good story is the, the concept of iteration and, and it, and you know, there's really two types of analytics. I won't go into the, uh, we've got a couple of guys that are very, very specific around word choices. They use what's an analytic, what's a visualization. So we're going to kind of gloss over that because I don't think it's it's valuable. And I'll probably mess up anyway since they're not here. Um, but we talk about a, a really good analytic or visualization should become obsolete after a couple of months. The concept here that I like to allude to is it's sort of like a, a professional cyclist trying to chase the proverbial Lance Armstrong. They get on some type of trainer and they're pedaling for a minute to sort of analyze their pedal stroke and, and output comes, Hey, your left quads a little bit weaker. Your left pedal strokes a little bit weak. So they, they take action to change that, to make it better. This is the same thing with analytics. You find something that's wrong. You take action, you make it better. And then this, this, this individual gets that's chasing Lance Armstrong gets back on the trainer pedals. Great. You fix that problem, but you know what? You still haven't caught Lance Armstrong. What's the next problem we're chasing. So we talk about analytics oftentimes as, as a stair step, a journey, you're climbing the stairs and there's, Honestly, there's never you're never going to run out of stairs. But the idea that a lot of times customers have this, like, well, we'll just we're just going to implement. We'll, we'll chuck a bunch of visualizations and we can walk away. It's like, no, this this is a journey yeah. in order to make it really transformational and powerful. So, yeah, and I like, that. I like that you've used that analogy because I, you know, I think we have to talk about it more as a journey, and that you know, it's something that we have to keep building on. You know, it's not something that we just stop and leave. Like you said, this is something that's giving us a visualization into the gaps that we have in our organizations and our supply chains to constantly make it better that right. we've never had before. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that that's a huge, huge point. So can you, since you're, you know, talking about stories, I really like that you've been able to put it into a story that everybody can resonate to. Why don't you give us a real life example of how you've helped a customer? So what was their challenge? 
what was your solution and what was the benefit to, to what you guys brought to the table for your customer? Yeah. Yep. So I think we're, we're sort of on the data, the data track here. So I'll, I'll walk down an example of, of a, a customer we've got that we, we, we've done a lot for them for a long time, but I'll kind of walk down the data angle and how that, how that directly led towards, uh, well, I'll start with what their challenge, but directly led towards outcomes and, and sort of transforming their supply chain. So uh, we, we engage with a customer, um, They'll remain nameless, uh, protect the innocent and or the guilty in this, uh, in this instance. Um, but they were, they, they had, they had a, they were reeling a bit from a troubled WMS implementation. So that was sort of our angle in. So, so we got in and we started correcting and helping their, their WMS. It was, uh, it wasn't implemented correctly. You know, there's a lot of, uh, exception conditions that were requiring backend up to, you know, just the, the whole host of challenges. So, so as part of going in and correcting those, we began to talk with them. And this is, this is important in my, from my perspective is, we began to talk about them, talk to them about planning and where are we trying to go? What are we trying to do here um, from your perspective, that your perspective being the customer? So uh, what we ended up talking about was how the pieces and things we're solving now um, are, are important from a planning perspective. I, I, when we engage with customers, I like to have a guidepost out in the distance. So what are we trying to do? What's the five-year plan? So we, we sort of set that and we realized it was they were, they were migrating just like everybody, or I shouldn't say everybody, most people toward, towards a more heavy e-commerce facility. They were going to be pushing in the next three years, a lot more volume to this facility. So, so what that did was allow us to have that guidepost, that, that first piece. And I think this, again, this is important from a planning perspective. So we corrected their WMS. That's sort of table stakes for what we do. Um, but, but they began asking questions around, you know, Hey, we really want to do two things. One, we need to get a lot of automation in here because we just like we were talking about, we yeah. we can't find enough people. I mean, distribution centers typically aren't uh, placed in the most populous areas, so they were struggling just from a volume of bodies they could bring in. And, and two, they needed to be able to pick faster, and we're concerned with all that stuff. So, so ultimately, what we did is we sat down and we said, "All right, two things we need to we need to focus on here. One is analytics and visibility because uh, the lead times, everything was get, everything was shrinking. We needed to we need to make reaction time faster, um, and two automation. So." What we did is we, we focused heavily on, you know, again, I, I talk about laying the foundation for an analytics perspective uh, with our customers, and that is the key execution systems. If you don't have execution systems implemented correctly, people following process, you're missing pockets of data. There's just little blind spots. Yeah. So they had a bunch of things that were, you know, hey, the, the process data-wise in a system flows this far, and then and then Jimmy just hops off the forklift and does a bunch of stuff in the back end. Nobody knows what it is, but stuff right. sort of ends up out of the door. So we brought all that stuff back in. We laid the foundation. Um, and from that, uh, we were able to glean a lot of insight as to what's happening, where are the challenges. Buying automation is fun, but what do we want to do? How do we get it? So we ended up implementing uh, auto store and AMRs uh, for them, and we were only able to really make that decision when we collectively sat down with them and reviewed the data. Um, and some of the data came from our our platform, some of it they had. But but really, uh, the way I would describe this again is we just helped them walk through the journey. So hey, there's there's a piece we're having a problem with that was our in. We'll solve that, but as we solve this, let's talk about what's next. So, so helping them define the, the foundational piece for an analytic deployment on top of it, looking at that data to uh, define automation. Ultimately, what we've done with them, and I'll kind of get to the, rather than just continue to sort of waver here all over the place with the story, um, we, we ultimately were able to help them make a, an intelligent decision about automation that, that transformed this distribution center. And also, you know, we refer to a term typically in the automation space as ROI drift. So, Folks come in just like any good salesman. Sure, hundred percent efficiency gains, all this stuff, and then it's so that that ROI stake is planted very firmly in the sales cycle. It's incrementally walked back as part of implementation right. and requirements gathering, and that delta between the two is what we refer to as ROI drift. 
And we were able to guide them through this process saying, no, you need to ask, don't just ask the sales guy what, what's going to happen here. Ask them these two questions in conjunction. You know, the, another, another analogy or, or, or phrase I always use is you can do X and you can do Y, but you can't do X and Y together at the same time. It's, it's, right. it's the nuance in being able to ask those questions. So ultimately what we did is we created a blueprint for their distribution network that was WMS, automation, analytics deployment, conveyance, that they were able to deploy across their network that has positioned them for you know the past several years and into the future for what they're trying to do from a business perspective. Well, and really help them um, make sure that the investment that they were going to be able to make or that they were going to make in automation <laughs> was the right investment, right? Because a lot of exactly. times, like you said, you know, people come in, the sales reps come in and they tell you a lot of really great things. If we don't have the knowledge and we don't have, or we're not asking the right questions, there's a lot of money that is spent on in, investing in automation and technology and different things like that, that have been lost. I mean, yeah. I'm sure we could find a lot of people in this audience today that could tell yeah. you stories of this. And so that stories of automation implementations and maybe yeah. five years after the fact, they finally got it where it needs to be. But, but really it's, you know, it's, we're the Shouldn't protection, we're the body long. armor. Yeah, we, we can be your body armor. You know, we'll, yeah, we'll take those bullets. Really we, let, let me rephrase that. We've got scars on our backs from taking those bullets. So we'll be the body armor so you don't have to take them. It's that kind of <laughs> I concept. like that. I like that. So quickly, who is your ideal client? Like who would benefit the most from working with McGregor? Yes, yeah, so we, we sort of, we, we go after two main clients. And so we, we, we and this is going to sort of, it's going to sound hilarious because it's almost everybody, but we, we like two things. One is, a 3PL. They can be big, they can be small, but preferably one that's forward-looking, uh, interested in technology, and wants a partner to help them stand up implementations, stand up warehouses with, with a lot of understanding of how 3PLs work and, and how mm -hmm. to differentiate across sales cycles and customer experience with technology. So we can help make WMS implementation, like all, all of the, the main software that goes into a distribution center lights out. That's what we do. But we can also bring these things around the periphery, like you know, our, our M toolbox application, the analytics piece, not just yeah. for a single facility, but across a network. We can bring M folio to help differentiate around uh, you know, showing your technology focused and, and protecting your facility staff and drivers and being able to say, look, the next pandemic, we're prepared to make sure that your facility doesn't go down because we're protecting our people. That's um, huge moving forward. Yeah. So we're, we're always courting you know, 3PLs that are interested 3PL. in that type of Someone that knows automation. How do we, how do we make all this stuff happen? How how can we make this a reality? And then two, we, you know, a lot of our customers are big manufacturers as well. So so folks that they've got distribution centers, they need a little bit of help. They're they're starting to dip their toe in the automation technology water, or maybe they're you know they've, they've got a new VP of supply chain and they're they're he comes in and they're they're a little bit outdated. They need help making all this stuff happen, both right. you know, holistically from from a, a selection from across WMSs. You know we we. We can resell and consult in a myriad of WMSs now, uh, technology, automation, and then the, the bells and whistles around this. So, so really, it's those two, those two are the sweet spots uh, for us. Awesome. Awesome. So I read on your website when I was doing my research for this interview, um, it says on your website, when they say don't overthink it, we say there's no such thing. What do you mean by that? Can you explain yeah. that? Yeah. Yep. So it's, it's a little bit tongue in cheek, so I'll, I'll try and explain it. Uh, so, so at our core, we're, again, we're, we're analytical folks. We're, we're deep thinkers. We, we don't like to just sort of react off the cuff and throw things, uh, you know, just uh, shoot, shoot now and aim later kind of concept. So what, what some of us have been frustrated by at times within this industry is a lot of folks not supporting or substantiating their decisions with data 
and, and facts. So sort of just, ah, well, we've done this for the past 20 years. We're going to do that. And I, I just know, like, well, how do you know? I just know. You know so, yeah. so that was kind of our little, little, little dig or pot shot at like, Things are changing. Sure, there's some stuff that, that has worked. It will continue to work, but there's some stuff that we should really rethink as a community within supply chain. What's what's the best way to pick stuff? What's it, let's let's talk about it. Let's let's talk about it specific to your business and make sure that we're making the right decisions. And again, we're not we're not a slow plotting. You know, this isn't us saying, well, we want to think about and ruminate on this for four years before we make a decision. We will we will move and we will go fast. That's why customers like us. But we want to make sure we're moving in the right direction. We have we have the support and, and foundation for what we're going after. Absolutely. So before we get into the future, I want to ask you one question. So what's one takeaway that you can give the audience about what organizations should focus on to streamline process and become more efficient in their warehouse structure? Just one thing that people can walk away with. Yeah. So I would, at the end of the day, when you're talking about streamlining, I, I think the key is the foundational pieces. So streamlining is a big, broad term, but when I think of it, I tend to think of, all right, we want to refine process. We want to, we want to add automation. We want to make this thing really hum. And, and we've had a lot of clients, we've seen a lot of clients try and put the cart before the horse, and they don't have a, they don't have a rock-solid WMS that can support this with the data and, and the process right. and structure. They're trying to jam automation and the really, really cool things on top of you know, a cracked foundation of a house, and the, the house starts teetering. It just Lay the groundwork first. It doesn't mean you don't have an idea of the vision you want to go, but lay that ground, that, that foundation first. Make sure it's solid. Make sure it's it's where it needs to be. And you can build incrementally on top of that. Climb those stairs, you know, wh- whatever analogy you want to use. But uh, yeah. but that's the key. That's the key. It's, it's a data and technology journey. You know, right. that's right. the one thing I think they should leave with is that, you know, this is something that is a journey. You need to find a partner that's going to help you along the way and you need to start somewhere and just get started, but get started in the right direction and then build upon it. So then what's the future? What does the future hold for McGregor? What's next for you guys? Good good question. So I think our future is going to continue to focus on our products. I think, you know, Folio is getting a lot of traction right now, given the, the climate, the pandemic and the desire to protect facility staff and, and, and truck drivers equally. Um, you know, analytics isn't going away, uh, you know, so we're, we're going to be strong in that. I, I think the big question we've got as an organization is, this is, this is a big, I'm, I'm sort of opening Pandora's box here as, as we're uh, potentially wrapping up, but what, what is WMS, what, what does execution look like in distribution centers? So there's a big play for automation. Now, automation's coming. We're, we're, we are and will continue to remain at the forefront of that partnering with the best automation vendors and, and middleware providers to make this stuff seamless. But what, what does WMS look like in three to four to five years? Because you've got WMS that's historically run the operation. Then you've got controls that run automation. You've got this WES that's sort of bridging the gap and, and, and sort of eroding the the historical lines of demarcation between what they own. So does WMS sort of go into the control space? Does WES go into WMS space? It's going to be, it's going to be very, very interesting to see kind of what, where this goes and and ultimately the markets and the customers are going to define where this goes is do we, can, can WMS go the other way more easily or can WES come into the WMS space more easily? It's going to be very, very fascinating. Um, So while I don't have any answers now, these are still thought experiments that we're going through internally. Uh, we're positioned to be at the forefront and we'd love to talk to folks about what they're trying to do and, and, and get into more detail around how we view these things and, and what we see the future looking like. Well, and I think just from having, you know, that R and D team that has their, 
their uh, thumb on the pulse of what's happening in the WMS space and the distribution space um, mm -hmm. to really be able to react to what's going to come down very, very quickly and be able to pass that on to your customer, I think is huge. So mind your own business while McGregor's Breakthrough Supply Chain Solutions handle the rest. And they mean it. They have your back and will partner with you in success. If you want more information on McGregor Partners, Jason, or this episode, please visit letstalksupplychain.com forward slash episode 120 or mcgregorpartners.com. That's M-A-C. Thank you to the team at Camp and at McGregor for making this episode possible. And thank you, Jason, for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. It was a blast. I appreciate it. This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder of Border Buddy, has to say. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has found a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce site, allowing you peace of mind when selling to customers in other countries. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from you to their door in real time. And just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com slash let's talk supply chain. If you like this episode, we have so many more where that came from. RPA, Last Mile, Women in Supply Chain, AI, Logistics, and so much more. Wherever you subscribe to the podcast or at letstalksupplychain.com under podcasts, you will also see a new category button and you can search episodes by their category if you are looking for a specific company or subject. Next week, get ready for an ethics lesson with the chief ethics officer all the way from Airbnb. Yes, that's right. Rob has a new book out and I am stoked that he decided to share with us on Let's Talk Supply Chain. And you won't believe how ethics really plays a big role and part in supply chain. So stay tuned. If you'd like to support the show, there's a few ways to do that. Follow us. Follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to our newsletter at letstalksupplychain.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, the SC Supply Chain TV, and subscribe wherever you listen to pod Let's Talk Supply Chain on podcasts. Next, go to ships.com. That's S-H-I-P-Z.com. Yes, that is our new platform. And we are this close to be launching our beta. And uh, we've got a lot of amazing companies already signed up. So make sure you go to ships.com if you are a mid-market shipper or a freight forwarder uh, to find out more. Next, if you're looking for somebody for that logistician, the supply chain professional, the procurement professional, professional um, in your life, you are going to find what you need at shop under letstalksupplychain.com. Or if you're looking for a supply chain dictionary, we have you covered as well with 107 pages full of acronyms and definitions you will need to succeed in your supply chain career. Lastly, if you'd like to be featured on a show, make sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Yes, if you do that, I will be sure to share your review on an upcoming episode. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.